Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name's Simon Hodgkins and today I'm joined by Tim Lewis. You're very welcome to the podcast, Tim. Let's begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, tempted as I am to answer, it's classified and then throw you off completely. Um, no, who am I? Um, I, I am somebody who's been working for themselves for about eight years now, and it's a long and uh, um, interesting journey, I suppose. So I was widowed in 2011, my, and I was working in IT at the time, so I was kind of just financial IT, financial system. One of the biggest financial systems in the world I worked on, that's a whole other story. And I decided that I was going to try and do IT. Contracting was my initial idea, very limited aims. So I quit my job. And then during my notice period, I read this book about self-publishing and writing books. And I thought, I'll give that a go. I've got enough. I've paid off my mortgage. I can like... So I wrote three time travel novellas in 2014. So uh, Time Shock, I Want My Life Back was the first book which um, sold, I, I was looking at the figures, it sold about 4,000 copies over the years. My, a lot of them are for, for, for free though. So <laughs> it's not quite as good as it sounds. Um, and then I got really into trying to work out how to actually sell books and do stuff. And I also got very much into the self-publishing movement. So I created the Begin Self-Publishing podcast and got very into podcasting and going to conferences and things like that uh, and I also got very into marketing to the point where I probably do more social media and other stuff than I do writing I haven't written a book since 2019 but that was about social media networking so um, now what do I do well I've run two live shows so one of them's on Amazon live which is book chat live and the format of that show is that I interview a guest and ask them about their favorite books. And that goes live onto amazon.com in the US. So not many people know, but Amazon themselves have got a live stream platform. And the advantage for me of that is I can put the books at the bottom and if somebody buys them, I get like 2% of the money from the book. Um, the other show I run with a co-host in San Diego is Oh No, Not Another Live Show. And that's a variety show how not to do a live show if you want to make money, but great fun, which is where we interview people from all sorts of backgrounds. So this week we had a guy on, he was talking about how he was getting his son through college football education, getting himself a place there. Um, I think the, the week before we had a health coach on, and the week before that we had a woman who'd trance-channeled a book. So the spirit guides had told her how to write the book. So we do all sorts of stuff there. Uh, what other things do I do? I've also got a travel YouTube channel about my travels in the US. Um, I'm in the process of visiting all 50 states in the US and it's state number 47 at the moment. So that's actually going to be coming to an end. And I've got a massive backlog of video that I'm going to create about that. <laughs> um, and I also help people to do um, self-publishing and also how to create podcasts and that kind of stuff so I do a lot of things so I I, I I threatened to take 20 minutes to talk but I haven't taken quite that long 
Well, thanks, Tim. And uh, I don't know how you fit all those activities in. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so traveling around the States, let's start there. Yeah. What, what, what possessed you to decide you were going to visit every state? You've obviously got a passion for that. You love travel, yeah. um, hence your YouTube channel. So where, did, where does all that come from? Well, it kind of organically grew. Um, like many things in life, you kind of end up down a path and it just makes sense. So the way that I ended up traveling to all 50 states was I was constantly going every year to Social Media Marketing World, which is like the biggest social media marketing conference, which is in San Diego every year. So I was going to San Diego and now I don't like I don't like sleeping on planes. So one way that I worked out that I could stop having to do that was that I would fly to New York or Boston or somewhere on the East Coast that had a morning flight to, to London Heathrow, so I didn't have to sleep on the plane. So I was already used to breaking up my trip. So I'd fly to like Boston or somewhere, stay a few days, and then fly to San Diego and then fly back and then do a morning flight in the morning, a stay overnight and morning flight and fly back to the UK. Then I started, because um, I made more and more contacts in, um, in the US, and I was kind of like, oh, well, I can visit this person in the middle. And it started in like 2018 when I went to visit a few people in Wichita, in Kansas, right in the middle, after going to social media marketing. <laughs> um, and it kind of like, so, and then I also started going to other conferences in the US in other states. So podcast movement keeps moving around every year. So this year it's in Denver. So this is, I'm going to do Colorado this year. as uh, one of the last, probably the penultimate state I do. Um, and then it was like, I saw on Twitter that there was this 50, 50 states by 50 thing, which was mainly full up of, women and families with camper vans <laughs> who were in the US and they were driving around all 50 states. And I'm like, well, I've done like 13 odd states now. I could do that. And I think I was like 48 at the time or something like that. Uh, no, 46, I think was when I started it. Now, I haven't actually been able to do 50 by 50 because of this small pandemic thing that got in the way. Um, but I think I will do 50 states by 51. So, um, and it's been, it, it's interesting to have some structure to a travel experience. Uh, I mean, some of the states that I've barely visited, um, the, one of the, the crucial questions when somebody says, have you visited all 50 states is what is your criteria for all your 50 states uh, for visiting the places? Um, I'm going to let you ask that question on me now if you want to, <laughs> or we can move on to something else. Well, just it's obviously you have the travel bug and uh, yeah. look, travel broadens the mind, right? I mean, everybody, yeah. everybody knows that people who begin traveling suddenly realize what a great journey that is itself. And it's, it sort of turns a page on your own book of life, doesn't it? You, you experience yeah. different things, you meet different people. And does that does that feed into your travel YouTube channel then? Or is that completely different? I try and show places, especially places that aren't like popular US places. I mean, I could do videos about San Diego all day because San Diego is a lovely place to visit. Um, 
but I featured places in like Milwaukee and Cincinnati in my videos because they are interesting places to visit and they've got a lot of attractions. Um, even some of the godforsaken places in the US I've been for, I say that they're interesting to places to go, if only to see as an example of what not to do. So somewhere like Wilmington in Delaware is a is an absolute. Uh, there's nothing to do there. All the architecture is strangely English as well. It's kind of like it's the only place in the US I've been to that has architecture like that kind of Midlands UK kind of cheap build kind of new housing estate style building. Nowhere else in the US is like that. So it's probably interesting for somebody in the US to visit Wilmington. But for me, it was like, this is just boring. <laughs> and it's supposed to be a bit of a crime den as well, but I didn't actually see any of that. So... So yeah, it's it's interesting because you can it gives you more things to compare against other things. That's the biggest thing. And also I like to see meet people in in the US on my journeys if I can, when I arrange it properly. I was better the last trip than the previous trip. So I think I met four people I knew when I was going around particular states. And it's interesting, it's so interesting to meet people in their home environment because they're very different from when they were at a conference or even online. Um, you can tell a lot about people when you meet them where they're based because there's a lot of and a mask that people put up and it's very hard to have that mask where you're at your hometown so to speak and tell me tim the the other thing i want to ask you as well which is kind of related because it it's in this content publishing world that you're yeah. in now, you, you mentioned at the start that you've been sort of running your own business now. I think you're heading for sort of that 10-year milestone yeah. of running your own company, being the managing director of Stone and Press. So could you could you just maybe unpack that a little bit more in terms of what you do there? And many people are familiar with YouTube. They're familiar with Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. But you mentioned as well this, this sort of Amazon live show. Yeah. So could you tell us a bit about Stone and Press, a little bit about how you got into that sort of show on Amazon and, and what's involved there? How does that work? Um, well, those are two really separate things, but I'll start off with Stone and Press. Stone and Press is more or less a glorified front for my business activities. Yeah, I set it up. Yeah, bizarrely, I say, for most authors, I would suggest don't start a limited company. <laughs> don't do what I did. But it's, I went under the proviso that if it was really successful, I wanted it to be in a limited company because that's, if you make a lot of money, if you think you're going to make, even potentially make a lot of money, then you want to start a limited company so you can hold money in the company. Um. But for me personally, over the years, I think I've, it's cost me more to have a company than if I just worked as a sole trader, really, as a sole employer. Um, in terms of the Amazon platform, um, because I'm on social media all the time and I keep up with a lot of the trends and things that go on, I heard about there's the, the Amazon Influencer Program and I was able to get in to the Amazon Influencer Program when it still allowed Twitter Twitter followers. So I've got like 19,000 followers on Twitter. And for a while, I think for a couple of months, they let you apply to the Amazon Influencer Program with, if you had over 10,000 Twitter followers. Um, I think they've, they've made it easier now for the Amazon Influencer Program on the other platforms. So uh, I think if you've got like 
2,000. They never tell you actually formally how many followers you need. But as a member of the Amazon Influencer Program, I can live stream to the Amazon Live platform, which is on, it's only on the US Amazon at the moment, which is quite annoying for me because I would like to live stream onto the UK platform because of the timings. The best time to sell and do live streaming on Amazon.com in the US is in the in their evening, which I'm in, in the, I'm asleep, unfortunately, most of the time because I'm in the UK and I go live in the US. Um, so yeah, that's how I got access to the Amazon platform. I mean, it's it is the way things should be going. But there were a lot of I actually did a talk a couple of years ago about e-commerce on social media. There were so many regulatory and company issues, but you really should be able to do that on all the platforms. You should be able to go live and have products listed at the bottom that you can then sell. Um, and you can kind of, but it's the whole international aspect screws everything up. Um, so Amazon have done it in the US, like Amazon.com, and you can literally, uh, majority of money I make actually from the show is not from the live streams directly, it's from being able to upload product videos. So um, I'm not sure which ones are up at the moment, but there's, um, there's a few books about, like somebody talked about grief and they do really well for me for affiliate income. So I've got a little clip of my video with somebody talking about, interviewed about that book. And if people watch it, I get affiliate income. So that's the way the Amazon influencer program works. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And that, that affiliate marketing seems to be working well. Um, and you mentioned as well that, you know, part of your US travels were around uh, sort of social media world and the, 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 yeah. all, everything that's going on there. What what got you into social media? Because you, you kind of had a career change. Obviously, there was a bereavement, um, which is very sad. And, you know, I, you know, life does change and you know, we, we find ourselves, as you mentioned, on different paths and different routes. But what was it about social media? Were you always engaged in social media? Was Did that come out of your IT background? Or was it sort of this new passion? It's new, really. Um, I mean, I don't know that many people locally to where I am in northeast London. London is not a especially friendly place to, to live, really. Um, simply because everything tends to happen in the centre unless you're spending all your time commuting into the centre um, and I would kind of live about an hour out of the centre of London um, so social media is a fantastic way to connect with people around the world um, so I like that aspect of it um, probably minorly addicted to social media to be honest probably like come out and just say like I'm Tim I'm addicted to social media but I did write a book, which was a positive book about using social media to get ahead in your business. And I have had, I mean, I've had like job, quite a few jobs and things. I used to run a Twitter chat for the Arts of Independent Authors, which came out purely out of Twitter connections. Uh, and I've done Facebook advertising for people because I've met them on social media. I've done other lots of other little jobs because of, I mean, it's a great way to make connections and it's like i banded this statistic around on threads the other day which is the new trendy platform um and i think it's right i remember it right but i couldn't find the source so i could be lying here when i say this but um the us bureau of statistics 
said, I think this is true. And I, I say, I can't find the original source, so I could be lying. So put that as a little asterisk, anybody who's listening. But 60, only 60% of jobs ever go to an interview process. So 40% of jobs go to somebody the recruiter already knows. Now, I think there might be a caveat in that might include internal promotions and all sorts of other things. But of the other 60%, even with an interview process, half of them go to somebody the recruiter already knows in some way. They did, I think they did a survey. I, I do remember finding it years ago, but I haven't been able to find the survey. So what is good about social media is it gives you a way of having that connection with an employer. So if I was somebody in my 20s who was looking for a new job, I would be going onto LinkedIn and looking for companies that I might, might, might want to work for and like following all of these people and looking, looking at their content. If you can find somebody who's in there, who's a senior manager at IBM or if you want to work for IBM or Google and they're producing content, watch their stuff, comment on it. They will know who you are. And then you can get to know them. And that's the way that people should be using social media, but too many people don't. So I, I went a little bit evangelical there. I do apologize, but I, there is a lot of good, there is a long good side to social media. It's not just looking in women in bikinis, you having to fancy or whatever. There are really good uses to social media. And I don't think people make enough use of them. I think you make a great point, Tim, because we often hear about the downsides, the dark yeah. parts of social media and everything that's wrong with social media. But then you always meet people who say, do you know what? I create my feed. I unfollow people that I don't want to be associated yeah. with. I use it to search information. And I think you've you hit the nail on the head. It gives you a global reach into yeah. whether it's an organization or individuals that maybe in your day-to-day -day life, you would never reach. Uh, and it, it does offer you that sort of direct connection and that ability to not just comment, but also to influence and to connect and to, to message and to build real, I think, community. And I know, look, you wrote the book, right? Social Media Networking. So yeah. I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but you also mentioned threads. Yeah. And you know, at the time of recording, we're probably way past 100 million uh, users or downloads at the moment it's been this sort of runaway success we've got uh you know the world of ai going crazy etc um but when it comes to your own social media platforms of choice where are you spending most of your time are you on threads now because it's new uh, or are you are you still using you know a, a variety of social media platforms um well the funny thing is the advice i always gave people was start with twitter <laughs> Now, Twitter has gone a little bit to the dogs lately, um, mainly because of Elon Musk buying it. And uh, it's not a political thing. A lot of people have got a political issue with Elon Musk. I haven't got a... His, my problem with Elon Musk is that he's clearly trying to make his money back from the platform. He's borrowed so much money to buy Twitter. And he's been taking functionality out of free Twitter and moving it behind the blue checkmark thing that you have to pay for. And I really don't like that at all. Um, so there was like Twitter Media Studio, which was a fantastic thing where you could embed images, uh, videos into Twitter and have a call to action link. Uh, and I use that a lot. And then they've just taken it like and TweetDeck they've taken and now put behind like. Um, so I'm more you I'm more using threads now than I'm using Twitter. Um, 
it's still very much the jury's out, friends, because at the moment it's very limited. At date of recording, it's very limited functionality-wise. You can't search for any anything apart from users. You can't. Um, there's no hashtags. Oh, I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Um, and the general atmosphere is very good, though. They've curated it very well. The default algorithms, think. So you can have conversations and you've not got such of the risk of some random person getting offence to whatever you're saying, uh, like that can happen on both Twitter and Facebook. Have got this problem. Like you can get people who get upset because you use a word in a way they don't like or whatever. Um, I mean, I, coming back to the whole Twitter, uh, social media has changed the world. It, it's there are there are good things or that we've talked about. There are bad things like the whole, well, there are bad things like the whole kind of cancel culture. And this. There's lots of very neutrally things that change, which I think people don't understand, as in um, you were saying about community and interest. So in the past, let's say you, you've got some weird interest in painting your foot red. So, like, so I'm not going to. So I, I hope you haven't got an interesting paper. You maybe have, but I'm not going to be judgmental if you have. In the past, you would have just thought, "I'm a weirdo. I'm not going to talk to anybody about the fact that I like painting my foot red at the weekend." Now, you can go onto social media and type "red foot red foot painting," and then you could probably find a community. There's going to be other people in the world who do that. So there's lots of. It's good in a way in that marginalised groups can now find other people in their community, wherever they are in the world. So people previously who were kind of ostracised, they've now got an outlet. But it's also bad on people with the slightly more, well, I mean, we can see it with minor, uh, minor attracted people, let's say, to use the politically correct. But some people with more negative uh, socially negative things can also find other people in the world. Um, so, uh, and it, it's a different, it, it's changed the world in all sorts of ways in the groupings that used to never be able to exist because the people were so spread out. It was such a rare thing to be interested in. Now can find other people anywhere in the world necessarily, almost whatever you're interested in, there's going to be a group or community online for it. And that, I think that's changed the world more than people think. I think you're right. And I, I think it's continuing to evolve, isn't it? As new yeah. competitors enter, uh, as AI gets involved, we've had oh, we've yeah. been through many, many bot problems. Uh, we've got the polarization. You've got political uh, discord. So there's yeah. lots going on there. But uh, hopefully we'll find a way through and it'll it'll become a... A force for good and uh, yeah. connecting people and storytelling and community. Maybe I'm being a little bit simplistic and optimistic there, but that that's a nice uh, hope, I think. Um, we will see. We will see. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, thanks so much for telling us a little bit about the background, about the publishing, yeah. about the, the shows that you run, about uh, Amazon Live as well and the affiliate work that you do. Uh, but I wanted to ask you a little few more questions a little bit about you as a person so when you keep your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on in this busy you know topsy-turvy world that we're living in are you listening to podcasts are you reading books are you meeting people in real life is it 
you know, constantly scouring the web or threads? Like how, how does onboarding work for you when it comes to information today, Tim? Um, well, I, I sound like such a hipster saying this, but I, I don't really watch traditional media much anymore. I'm probably out. It's probably more normal than it, like the number of people I talk to like that. Um, which does make me vulnerable um, to, and I think, again, we're coming back to the whole social thing. It makes you very vulnerable where you get your news and information. But typically, yeah, it's it's connections. Uh, I've got our friends' WhatsApp group. So if I know that there's a big me media story, they're going to be talking about it. <laughs> and then I'll go and look it up on the BBC or whatever. Um, so all this Polari with BBC presenters and the rest of it. Um, but it, it's funny because I remember I was at the time, um, I don't I, you, you sound UK based, but I, I remember doing history GCSE exam when I was 16 and they changed the course to add, uh, it wasn't just facts and figures like the, uh, the old history O-level, they had this analyze the sources and like talk about the biases of these documents and at the time I thought this is totally useless why on earth are we having to do all this like this was sources written by a Russian so we should be more careful about it now I'm like that was the most fantastically useful bit of my history <laughs> um, because for whatever reason people aren't as cynical about news sources as you are so you have to be like, go online, see stuff like TikTok is an amazing source of information. But I would say about 30% of everything you see on TikTok is a load of rubbish and it's totally untrue. <laughs> but that 70% can be fantastic as a way of finding out things to drive, to look on other platforms for. Um, so yeah, I do get a certain amount of news from TikTok. Um, Twitter's very good for finding trends and things around, but they they really shouldn't be your what you take the if they are the steering you towards things to look look at potentially. Um, but they uh, YouTube I spend a lot of time looking at sources on YouTube. Um, I try and read books across the political spectrum. Um, it, it's always hard to do because we always. We end up drifting one way or the other, usually, but I'm trying, like, throwing left-wing books here and throwing some right-wing books here and, like, see how it goes. Um, I'm like everybody struggling to find a good way of actually... And I'm very suspicious of, like, aggregators and people who claim to be the neutral source because they're usually not. I've seen that quite a few, a few times on YouTube where people are like, oh, we give it as it is, and it's very clear that... They've got a bias. They just aren't aware they've got a bias. So yeah. and it usually soft left usually is the bias, mm. but then they see some sort of quite hard right ones who think they're totally unbiased as well. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's always quite hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I don't think it's unusual that a lot of people, or at least a segment of people, are not as uh, glued to traditional Yeah media as they were in the past and i think some of the institutions that people would have held dear historically have found themselves in a lot of hot water uh, or or being questioned more and more in today's um environment where there are multiple sources of information and normally multiple opinions on that information 
so I don't think you're alone in in that in that viewpoint. However, I do hear you when you say it's not easy. It, it, it isn't easy because it's not as simple as saying, well, I'll just get two or three sources of the story mm-hmm. uh, because there's an awful lot of bias in there. There's an awful lot of uh, opinions, et cetera. And, you know, getting to the facts is something that's getting harder and harder. So, you you know, I don't think we're going to solve it here, Tim, but it, it's a great point that you raise. I appreciate your viewpoints on that. Um, and like all of us, you know, we're all sort of diving into various uh, avenues to try and find out uh, what's going on and to keep abreast of, of what's happening. As you look forward, though, and as you think about sort of the next six months, 12 months, or maybe longer, other than getting to those last two remaining U.S. states, what's on your roadmap? How do you go about planning? Uh, do, you, do you work day to day? Are you working years in advance? What? How do you sort of go about that kind of work? Um, I'm dreadfully chaotic, to be honest. Well, actually, I'm not. I am in some areas. In terms of like week to week doing show work, I have like Trello lists of all the tasks and things I should do. The trouble is sometimes I do skip doing it. It's funny, when I was in IT, I was dreadfully dismissive of operational people because I worked in like software development and a bit, a little bit of support and management. But the operations people have these checklists of things they do and you go, this, 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 this. And I was like, oh, do you need that? Um, it makes a big difference because Certainly with mundane routine tasks, if you've got a checklist and you go through it, um, over and above making sure you don't miss things, it also is useful because you can go back to that checklist and like share show clips or whatever. And you can say, why am I using, why am I spending all of this time doing these things? Can I just change this? And you can innovate with a list and try a new thing and see if that was better and then replace your checklist with a new one. Um, and that works very well for day-to-day tasks. In terms of the, the longer planning side of things, yeah, I'm a bit chaotic, really. I, I've got a calendar. Uh, I use Google Calendar. Um, and I also got Google Tasks, so I keep failing to properly work out how to use that. <laughs> so I've got, I, I work out in terms of what I'm doing. So if I'm planning a trip to the US, I will plan that like three to six months ahead and I've got like in front of me I've got a little print out of my next trip and where I'm going and I've got it like printed on the days um and I block out conferences and things I'm going to do like up to a year ahead and I'll book hotels up to a year ahead sometimes um in terms of the rest of my business no it's all quite chaotic really uh show booking I use once hub um which is kind of equivalent to Calendly and all the rest of them. Um, having a sh- booking system is really useful. Um, but no, I, I'm not a great. I'm not a great example of how to do long-term planning. I probably should be because I was very into like agile methodologies and things when I was in IT development. But it's a lot easier to manage other people doing stuff than to manage yourself. Um, and I think that's. That is one of the hardest skills to learn as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or whatever you want to call it. Um, managing yourself is actually harder than managing other people. Well, I appreciate your transparency because you, you're right. I mean, um, when it comes to producing regular shows that you're yeah. doing, a number of regular shows, um, 
there has to be some kind of process. Now, I suppose once you've been doing them for a long time, a lot of that becomes automatic. You kind of know what you're doing. Um, but you, you still have to have that workflow, that process. You know what needs to be done on a certain time. Uh, and I think we all struggle from time to time in terms of being, uh, you know, more organized or more uh, better at managing our time or whatever. Um, and I mean, the, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and you kind of you've kind of answered some of it here already, but it, it was about people who want to produce their own shows. If you had any advice for people or things that you wouldn't do, uh, maybe uh, because producing shows on a regular, consistent basis it's not easy and it does take a lot of time and effort doesn't it tim yeah well i have lots of sort of throwaway lines that everybody does that <laughs> they do about things um i'll say one that's i say that people will see not to not in agreement so it must be good which is generally in business you either want to be the first the best or you'll be lucky uh, those are the three ways to be successful so one of the reasons why I'm on Threads at the moment is that it's one of the first, you know, like one of the first, I, admittedly, I was a bit disappointed to find I was 750,000 person on Threads, which is like, I, I, I applied for a camp as soon as it came up on my phone that I could have the app. I was in this waiting list thing. Um, so that's one way that you can be, and it's true with content as well. You can be, if you're the first person to talk about AI on threads or something, or like um, some chat GBT, or, or you probably want to pick like Bing, Bing AI or something, not like, don't pick the main one. If you're the first podcast or content on that show and people are searching for it and really interested, you can do really well. And your show doesn't have to be that good. It doesn't matter. The other thing is to be the best. And literally you are the best person on that and I think being the best is actually harder though if you niche down into a small enough niche yeah maybe so like the best AI for Irish government or something I don't know like some bizarre really really narrow thing and if there's enough people searching for that it's good the other bit of, a, bit of advice I give for content creators is whatever schedule you think you can do do the next one down. So if you think you can do a daily show, do one every two days. If you think you can do one every two days, do a weekly show. If you think you can do like one a month, once a month, then probably don't do the show. <laughs> um, though you can do what I'm like, I, the book chat live at the moment is on out of season. And um, I it, it was actually a hard sacrifice to do to stop doing, stop booking guests for book chat live during the summer. But I've just got so much other stuff. And look, mainly with the YouTube, I've got a big backlog of travel YouTube videos to create. So I've always done Book Chat Live in seasons. So I stopped the season. I'm going to start a new season in September. Um, so that's one way to kind of work around it. But whatever schedule you think you're going to have with a live show and you can do, you almost certainly need more time than what you think you are. Um, unless you're prepared to throw money at the problem. I mean, if you're prepared to pay other people to do everything for you, then you can do a lot of shows and you can do, produce a lot of content. Um, well, I think well, that's sage advice, Tim. I mean, I, yeah. I think for content creators listening to this episode, you know, just that simple advice of, if you think you're here, 
just knock it down to the next yeah. notch. I think that would save so much pain and, you know, uh, suffering <laughs> along the way. Yeah. I think it's great. It's simple. It's simple advice, but it's so true, isn't it? And it, it helps you form that consistency then of output, doesn't it? And, yeah. to, and to some degree, maintain that level of quality that you're talking about. Yeah. And the other thing with podcasts, especially, it's not so true YouTube, but um, don't expect a lot of people to view or download your like the, the often quoted uh, statistics by Libsyn, who are one of the big podcast host companies, is that I think it's like 130 downloads a month is the median. So the middle of the road average downloads for a podcast, uh, which is not a lot. It's really not a lot. Um, and I mean, I'm sure you're way, I'm sure you're in the millions and like, you're like, you're the thing. But a lot of people, what happens a lot of the time with podcasting, especially, is that people will have built up an audience somewhere else. So there'll be a blogger or somebody who was a, like, had got a huge million audience. And then they'll start a podcast and they'll be like top of the charts and they'll be like, this is the most amazing platform ever. You sh everybody should start a podcast. And it's like, well, uh, podcasting isn't really a growth medium unless you're the first. If you do the first show on something, yeah, you can, you can grow. But podcasting especially because most people tend to listen to about six or seven podcasts. So for them to listen to your show, they need to either stop listening to one of the other ones, which could happen because the other podcaster could stop. Or you need to bring brand new people to podcasting to listen to your show. So that's the other thing. Where if you, I mean, if you're on YouTube, you will get search as well. So that's why I always kind of suggest people, if you're starting a podcast, put it on YouTube as well, because YouTube is more of a growth platform where something like Apple Podcasts, unless you're, say, the first podcast in that subject, your chances are you're going to have not especially high download figures. Doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile activity to do, uh, especially if you're in a business where you can make a lot of money per client, in which case a podcast, even with like 100 downloads, if 90 of those people are buying you a thousand month for thousand pound a month product, who cares? You only get 100 downloads. That's the thing. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I suppose, the other myth to thing is in that podcast you would get millions of people instantly downloading your show because most of the time that doesn't happen and, it, and people can get depressed about that because they get spun some story that they're going to get ten thousand people listening a, a week and that's probably not going to happen for most podcasters yeah and i, I really like what you said about youtube being a growth platform because yeah. a lot of people forget don't they it's the second largest search engine in yeah. the world uh, and a lot of podcasters have suddenly realized that they need to put out video versions of their podcast and not just the audio versions. And then, of course, in today's world, you have the opposite view on that, which is some diehard podcasters think it's an audio only uh, medium. Um, but even Spotify now has video podcasting yeah. and it is a it is a changing world and it is about growing your audience over time, whether that's one person at a time yeah. or several hundred or several thousand people at a time. And the other thing that, you, as you were speaking, reminded me of something that I've said before on another show. I, I We were talking about downloads and whether you're getting 10,000 downloads an episode yeah. or 100 downloads an episode. Somebody said that if you were a comedian, 
uh, and you you'd booked a venue and you you'd sold out the venue and there were 300 seats you'd be really looking forward to turning up to that it's a little bit like what you were saying if you've got 100 people listening uh, but you've actually got an engagement with one of them that that's real value then the, the 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 ultimate size of it you know you don't have to be beyonce or jay-z or you know getting these multi-million dollar downloads you have to produce meaningful value to people and grow your audience in your own niche or your own community and i think i think that's where some of the magic does lie but it's not easy and i really appreciate you sharing some great advice there tim yeah ironically or maybe not ironically I'm actually working on a video for podcasting course at the moment, which I've done exactly one module for, which I did for May King, your previous guest, who asked me, how do I extract the audio from a video? Um, I think I'm going to create some other courses about doing it the other way around, because it's actually surprisingly easy. You can do all of this stuff with free tooling. But one of the great problems with online business is that, coming back to the affiliate thing again a lot of people recommend tools because they get a cut <laughs> not because it's necessarily the best tool for the job um and that's something that comes back to this whole awareness thing uh sometimes people come from the best of intentions and they are like oh while well, i use this product it works for me and it's going to pay me 10 percent of everybody who signs up and they're not necessarily malicious but there is an element of people who are pushing paid expensive tools when there are free tools or cheaper tools to do exactly the same thing. And yeah, it's, it's not great. So anyway, this is as me trying to push my, probably will be eventually paid course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a lot of courses out there, but if you get the right course and it, yeah. it helps you move forward quicker, you know, yeah. there's a lot to be said for, for getting a course that helps you do that. Um, look, finally, uh, before yeah. we run out of time today, Tim, is there anything else you would like to share with our worldwide audience today? And secondly, and obviously importantly, if people want to find out more about all your shows and all the great work you're involved in, where do you want to point people to? Um, well, I'm Stone and Press uh, on Alexa. So that's Stone Ham as in the, the meat stuff, um, Press as in pressing down. Um, and I'm on that on threads, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have got a Facebook page, but I very rarely look at Stone and Press Facebook page. And stoneandpress.com is where it's in. In terms of a final message, um, I suppose what I would say is that even though I'm probably somebody who's not made huge amounts of money from being stroke self-employed stroke business person in the last 10 years. I still have absolutely no interest in going back to full-time employment. And that's because I think in today's world, you have to have some knowledge of online business, business in general, because it gives you so much more freedom and flexibility. And somebody's, um, I can't remember who, but somebody I've forgotten who was, was saying you can either work with an effect like you've got one buyer which is your employer or you can work for yourself and you can have multiple buyers and customers so you've got if you work with a company you've got in effect one client you've got one person who decides your fate in terms of everything and it used to be the case that 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 individual client relationship was much better than working in a, in a business but now i think you're 
like even if you choose to go back to permanent employment and there's nothing wrong with that if you've at least tried online business and you've tried running yourself that will leave you in so much better position than if you end up being unemployed or you lose your job or something happens to the company you work for and then you're thrown out into this world and it's like got to get another job we've got to go do another thing so i am a massive advocate for working for yourself and uh, so i suppose that's my advert on behalf of the entrepreneurs party uh, put a political uh, <laughs> political broadcast message up there on your on your screen well, Tim, I think that's uh, certainly food for thought. Yeah. And it also brings us really nicely to the end of the, our episode today here on the Global Discussion. So thank you to everybody who's been watching or listening to us around the world. Make sure that you follow, like, subscribe, do everything I need you to do to help support the podcast. And uh, I hope that you'll join me back here to uh, listen to some more discussions with creatives and leaders and thinkers. And thank you to Tim. It's been great to catch up with you today, my friend. It's been great to be on your show, even though we both look like we're dressed like ninjas in the black t-shirts. <laughs> Thanks, Tim.